My text today would normally have a sort of a Christmas connotation, but it's really not a Christmas message. It's a message for all time and all eternity. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and you will recognize it. But my title today is just two words that's repeated twice, and, and uh, Brother Yates would say, usually when something is repeated, it means that it's important. I believe that this is important, for we're going to speak this morning on the title, Unto Us. Unto Us. Let us read. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. You know what that says? We win. As already alluded to, we live in dark days, and I totally agree, the only hope for America, the only hope for any nation, the only hope for this world is God. Amen. But we win. Let's go on. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with just judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. And verse 7 closes with these words, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That word zeal, in its root word, means jealousy. Now, we don't like that word. But when it's applied to God, it's a wonderful word. It means that God ardently and with tremendous zeal yearns for us, loves us, and cares for us. One of the applications we're going to make this morning is that we're the bride of Christ. Amen? And if every husband was jealous over their wife, like Jesus is jealous over his church, there would be no such thing as divorce. Every family would be led godly. and There would be directives of God's word that would establish our homes with safety and security. Question, what does it mean when God says unto us? We're going to find out that it's an ever-expanding thing. And when you leave this morning, I hope that you will never read this passage of Scripture again without it speaking to your heart in a more fervent way. But it means that we have been given favor. Not just favored, but highly favored. God loves you. <laughs> Say it with me. God loves you. God loves me. And if I can imprint that in your spirit this morning, I will have been a success in coming. And so unto us, all of these wonderful promises have been given. The primary context of all scripture is this, the salvation of fallen mankind that was caused by the sin that Adam and Eve committed. God's love for mankind throughout all of our history 
action after action, was all done in love. I had one person come to me lately and said, you know, matter of fact, it's one of my sons. He said, Dad, I've been reading the Old Testament, and, you know, they were told, go destroy that nation. How about the flood? Pretty difficult. Had millions of people probably die, and yet only a handful would live. Noah and his family. And they didn't do very well after the fact, did they? But every step that we read about, even through the Old Testament and then coming into the New Testament, and I'm thankful I live in grace. Amen. That I live after Christ and not before. But I declare to you today, by the nature of our God, because God's nature is love. That every step was taken for the ultimate love for mankind that in the end, like we've already alluded to, we win. And even though we may not totally understand all of the steps that God took throughout the centuries, yet we know that God is love. And he can do no evil. We look at scripture from Genesis and time, from Genesis 1 and all the way through, through scripture, through eternity. And it's like a tapestry. And sometimes not quite as beautiful as we would love to see. Remember those old tapestries that would hang on the wall and, and the weaving of it would describe some beautiful majestic scene. Well, through the tapestry of Scripture, there's, as it were, a scarlet line that's woven all the way through it. And what that line is, is blood. Through First through the blood of goats, goats and lambs and even doves, but then in the fullness of time, the sinless blood, of Jesus Christ would join it and complete it. And folks, once again, unto us, unto you, unto me, we win. We win because of God's wonderful love. In uh, 1 Peter 1 and 18, there's an illusion of what I want to describe. Now, I'm not saying that it was exactly like this because, you see, there was a meeting before time began, matter of fact, maybe millions of years before time began, between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, they're one, but they're still three. Amen? And God the Father calls God the Son, and he says, we have a problem. Now, man had not been created. Maybe the heavens and the earth had not been created. And yet, because they're God, they know all things, past, present, and future. And God the Father says, we've got a problem. And the Son says, what is that problem? Sin. Sin. And the Son nods his head. 
Now, if I were God, I would tell you, because you see, we blew it big time, right from get-go in the garden. I don't know how long it took for Adam and Eve to sin, but probably not very long. They had the warnings. God gave them the guidelines, and it was fair, and it was just, and yet they sinned. Well, in the foreknowledge of God, it's a problem. Because in the day that you sin, what? You shall surely die. You shall surely die. And so they get their heads together. And, well, what are they going to do about this? Well, first of all, the heart and nature of God the Father is this. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. If you're here today and don't know Jesus, God loves you. You say, well, I'm a sinner. But you're going to find out this morning that he took care of the sin question. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if I were God, not as perfect as our wonderful God, I'd say let's just abandon the whole situation. This is a bad deal. I mean, from get-go, Adam and Eve blew it. Israel blew it. Matter of fact, we blew it. You know why? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Folks, we're all losers in ourselves. And so if I'd been God, I'd said, let's just do something else. This little place called earth, it's like a, a grain of sand on the seashore compared to the whole creation of God. Surely there's a better place that we could do a better deal. But that wasn't even consider, a consideration for the Father. You know why? Love. Unto us, love is given. Unto us, the Father looks at us and he says, I don't care what the sacrifice is. I don't care what the cost is. They're worth it in my eyes. Unto us. The Father hears what, I mean the Son hears what the Father shares. and The Son says, I'll do my part. Now this was not an easy decision. He said, I'll go to earth. I'll become man. Matter of fact, I'll become the God-man. Hmm, interesting. Fully God, fully man. And folks, it wasn't a decision that would only be for 33 years. It would be for all eternity. 2,000 years from that point of which he was born, he is still the God-man. We're going to find what it does for him in becoming our sympathizing Savior a little bit later. He said, I'll do it. Before you see the same love for mankind that you see in the Father is in the Son. Well, the Holy Spirit's here. You know, sometimes we want to forget about the Holy Spirit. We make him some kind of the entity of the cosmos or whatever. The Holy Spirit is much God as the Son and the Father. 
Holy Spirit, I'll do my part. He says, for I will descend to earth in the fullness of time, and I will place the holy seed of deity in the womb of a virgin called Mary. So we see the fullness of the Godhead doing a great and marvelous complete work to prepare man for the greatest blessing that could ever be thought of. So the declaration unto us. When Isaiah said it repeatedly, it was no light statement. And ever since I've taken that little phrase and I've studied it and I've prayed over it and it has grown in my spirit. Folks, I am so honored. I'm so honored and humbled to be called a child of God. One of the unto us. The Son was given. And his love overwhelms me. Folks, it absolutely blows me away. And I hope that the same sensation is felt in your heart this morning. But it has become the central theme of God's word, the very heart of God himself from the beginning of time until the present and will forever. We talked about earth being just like a grain of sand on the seashore. And yet, it's the total mindset of God. Nothing else matters. Every action that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit takes is unto us. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He wants us to be in heaven for all eternity. That's how much He wants us to be a part of His bride, to rule and reign with Him forever. The birth of Christ was no accident. Nothing was more planned from the beginning of time. Don't you love to read Matthew 1 and beginning with verse 1, the genealogies? Oh, it's inspirational reading. But it's so necessary. The world would love to be able to argue that Jesus was ever born. Because if they could present a legitimate argument, then, see, his life, Jesus' life, his death and resurrection would be meaningless. It would have never happened. And you and I would all be condemned as sinners for an eternity without God. But they can't disprove it. Matter of fact, the world doesn't even try to disprove that he was born. They just want to bring other arguments to bring question to your mind. But this morning, the only argument unto us, and I think that it is sufficient, the only argument I bring today is this, he loves you. I'd like to see if you get excited right there. It excites my soul. He loves me more than tongue can tell. Now, you have to go to the resurrection of Christ to sort of see the full 
picture. And in Acts chapter 5, we have a story, and I won't take time to read it because it's a lengthy passage of Scripture, but I'll give you Bill's paraphrased edition. Christ had lived. He had died. He rose from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And there, he makes intercession for the saints. And his heart just oozes with love. Brother Yates, you've really failed God, haven't you? So have I. But did you know this? God's grace is sufficient for you. I don't know anybody else's name. I know Dan and Sandy Smith. They're good. That's my wife. That beautiful young lady sitting next to Sandy is my wife of 46 years. Dan, you've really failed God, haven't you? God's grace is sufficient for you. It is sufficient for me. But in Acts chapter 5, we have a wonderful story. It's about the apostles after Christ's resurrection and after Pentecost, and they had, had been filled with the Spirit. You no longer see Peter as a coward, as one who would deny Christ. But now he, with the other apostles, is standing before the Sanhedrin. They'd been arrested for preaching the gospel. And while the Sanhedrin was debating on what to do to them, and which they wanted to kill them, they were put them in, in prison. But that night, the angel of the Lord came and loosened the doors. <laughs> and they walked out. The next morning, they went right back to where they were at when they were arrested. And that was in the court of the temple. And they started preaching and declaring Jesus as Lord and Savior and Messiah. Well, when the Sanhedrin met together, they sent for the apostles. They went down to the jail, and guess what? They were gone. They said, well, where are they? Well, they're back out there where they were every, every morning. And so they called them in, and they were charging them and trying to put fear in their hearts. We're going to kill you. We're going to kill you. Fortunately, among the Sanhedrin, there was one wise man, and his name was Gamaliel. And in all of the charges that were, were made, he simply stands up and he says, Gentlemen, we better watch what we're doing. Let me read it in verse 38. Therefore, in the presence, present case, I advise you, Gamaliel said, Leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. You see, during that time, there are all kinds of people who would come and, I am the Messiah. I am God. I'm this. I'm that. And they came, and within a very few years at most, they disappeared. When they died, their movement died with them. Let's continue. Let them go. For their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. I don't know if Gamaliel realized it, but he spoke a prophetic word. And, and so they let them go. Disciples went out praising God. 
and God continue to add to the church daily such as should be saved. And so from that time until now, in times of peace and especially in times of persecution, the church grew. Because of persecution upon the church, the Christians spread. But wherever they went, they shared the gospel. And people continued to be saved. And that will continue to take place until the whole earth will be filled with his glory. Until every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow, declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord. I close this morning as we turn to John 17, verses 1 through 4. And here we see Christ at the end of his earthly ministry. Guess what? He's homesick. He's homesick. He says, uh, Father, I've been away from you for 33 years, and boy, I really would like to come home. And he says, Father, I have finished what you've called me to do. Let's read it. Once again, John 17, beginning with verse 1. Father, the hour, and that is, uh, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I think I would be homesick too. Amen? I'm away from my wife just a few days. That's after 46 years. I still miss her. Oh, I'm not saying we don't ever fight. I'm not saying we don't ever disagree. But there's just something about being with this young lady. And the son missed the father. Jesus came to earth with a mission, but longed to return back to his Father. The Son of God will return to the Father with so much more than he left with. For instance, he came to earth as the Son of God, it still is, but he returned as the eternal God-man, the incarnate one, forever perfect that one that would be a sympathizing, gracious, loving Savior. And folks, I could speak on grace for hours. He came to earth alone. He returned by bringing the Old Testament saints with him. <laughs> he led a holy parade out of hell itself. That proved that he defeated death, hell, and the grave. He left as the only begotten of the Father, but he returned as the Lamb of God that takes away all the sins of the earth. 
He left as the Son of God, but returned as the victorious lion and tribe of Judah. Now that pertains to Israel. And folks, keep your eye on Israel. God is not finished with him. He's doing a great work and going to continue there. He left. Jesus left in all the deity and holiness of God, but returned as the sympathizing Savior showing grace to all who believe. He left to go to a place that, to a people that were totally condemned, had no hope whatsoever. But he returned to the Father, declaring that now it is possible for all men to be saved. Once again, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation for you. Don't delay it. Don't delay it. He loved those he left behind. And he asked the Father, he said, send them another comforter. So the Father sent the Holy Spirit to abide with them forever. Not just 33 years, but forever. And then he left heaven lonely, but he returned engaged unto us. <laughs> How many are part of the bride of Christ today? Raise your hand. Amen. We're engaged. And the wedding date is soon. I declare to you, it is soon. From all that we have stated, I hope that the little phrase unto us will never mean just a little statement that some prophet spoke about 5,000 years ago. It means that God, when it comes to you and me, has a one-track mind. We're all he thinks about. Now imagine that. He is God of creation, and he can speak universes into existence. And yet, you are the very center of his attention. You're the apple of his eye. You're his pearl of great choice. You're the greatest treasure that he desires. So his total mindset and attention is your salvation and mine. God's love for us is so overwhelming that nothing else should matter. Listen to these words. Allow me to read. We read the prophet's words unto us. What does that mean? It says the Son is given, but how is that done? I find myself asking more questions and seek for answers that are difficult to find. The only conclusion to unto us is love. That's the only conclusion. Overwhelming love and much, much more. But who could love like this? Who could set aside everything for the sake of another? I know no other man or woman possible of this type of sacrifice. 
We have three sons. But don't you dare ask me to give any one of them as the Father gave his son. God's love must be greater than any other. So in faith, and still asking questions, I accept that love. And in so doing, I receive a Savior, a Lord, a Redeemer, and a future. And the list is endless. As God continues to pour blessing upon blessing upon all of those who love him. And because I am loved, I now have learned and continue to learn how to love others. Unto us, what does it mean? God's love, foreign at first, has become my greatest strength. It makes me see others and the world so much differently than I did before. I am able to forgive even as I am forgiven. I am never alone, for God himself lives in me. The little word us, it's not singular. Therefore, I am a part of something greater than myself. As a part of his bride, I find unity, fellowship, and strength in this relationship. Though unique personally, we find our all as one in Christ Jesus. My closest friends and greatest bonds are not in human relationships, but spiritual. How many agree with me? I close with another question. How could anyone refuse God's love? Let me ask it again. How could anyone refuse God's love. So in sharing your faith, do not condemn, do not judge. That's not our job. Just share and live God's love because the love of unto us includes the whole world. That none would perish, but that all would come to everlasting.